morning. I'm going to open up to Ruth, chapter 3. Well, why don't we read here Ruth, chapter 3, and we're going to go all the way till uh, into 4 a little bit here. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be, may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the thres threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So when she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her, and Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, and he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman laid his feet, and he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for my fellow townsmen. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went to the city, into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed. To your mother-in-law, she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, and but will settle the matter today. Let's stop right, right there, and we might move in just a little bit to chapter 4, but leave most of it for another week here. Uh, just a short review here, um, where we are. You know, Ruth and Naomi came, they're back in Israel, and she's been threshing at, uh, with Boaz, servants in the field, and then she finds out, you know, that Boaz is actually the kinsman redeemer who, I'm going to get into more of the details the next time when we go into chapter 4, but um, just basically he can buy some of the, their land and, and kind of take over so their heritage doesn't end because uh, the sons died. So anyways, that's where we are, and Naomi's telling Ruth basically to go pursue this uh, idea of him being the Redeemer. And just a short note in general for the whole Bible, but especially the Old Testament, one thing we have to ask when we read the passage is, is this descriptive or is this prescriptive? So is this just describing what happened? 
or is this telling us we should do this too? Um, and in many cases, we just have to look through the whole counsel of God's word and see, is there other places? You know, if there's only one place in the scriptures that something happens and it seems to be unique or maybe cultural, then we know it's descriptive. This is what happened, but it's not necessarily prescriptive. I'll give you kind of a silly example. If you're a sheep, if you're a shepherd or you've got sheep, you don't necessarily need to go out to your sheep and carve uh, lines and sticks and put them in front of your sheep while they drink, like uh, Jacob did. Um, the Bible's not teaching that's the right way to uh, shepherd sheep. It's just what happened. God did a miracle there. That's amazing. But because there's no laws like that or there's no other place like that, we don't, we're not necessarily saying you should go out and do that. Um, so that's descriptive of what happened. The same, you could say, applies here. <coughs> Okay, this is a very um, strange to American sensibilities, Western, modern sensibilities, what's going on here. I'm going to try and explain it, but first just say, this is descriptive, this is not prescriptive. Um, if you're a young lady and you're wanting to get married, do not sneak into somebody's house and lay at their feet. That's, not, <laughs> that's a joke, obviously, but um, the reality is this was very specific to the culture and there's a play on words here that's not directly apparent in English. So I'll, get, I'll tell you why this was so meaningful and what it really meant in, the, in terms of the culture. So first, the word for the edge of the garment is the same word for wings. Okay, The word for the edge of a garment is the same word in Hebrew for wings. And this word wings comes up um, as well as the edge of the garment. And it comes up and it's actually significant throughout the whole Testament. I'll give you a couple Examples. They're symbolic and they're metaf both are symbolic and metaphorically meaningful in the Old Testament. God uses this as a metaphor over and over. In Ezekiel 16 it says, he's talking about Israel metaphorically. When I passed by you again and I saw you, behold, you were at the age for love and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness and made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. You see there, the idea of the edge of the garment uh, is connected to protection and covering and entering into a covenant. Again, in 1 Kings, a similar idea. This is Elijah. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the, the, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was the twelfth. And Elijah passed by and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah said, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. So, there, again, to us, if some one of you is a farmer and you're working in the field, somebody walks by and throws a coat on you, you'd be like, what are you doing? But immediately, Elisha knew what this meant, and that he was going to follow um, Elijah, and that it was symbolic. I'll give you another example here. This is from Ruth, what we just read uh, earlier on in chapter 2. Verse 12, it, this is, uh, brings up the wings here. It says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So you see the idea of protection there, under the wings. Uh, and then, Ruth chapter 3, verse 9, Boaz says, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So, 
The wings would also be the edge of the garment, all symbolic of coming under the protection of the Lord, or in this specific case, coming under the protection of this Redeemer. And so that's why she laid at his feet. And the whole idea of like the covering of the, of the person was very symbolic. Uh, I'll give you one more verse here from Ruth. So she laid at his feet until morning, but arose before anyone could recognize her. Um, so she's laying at his feet, and I think it's, that's not the right verse, but I think it specifically says, uncovered his feet and lay down at his feet. So again, another kind of symbolic idea here. Um, the whole point of what she's doing is to show, would you? I want to come under your protection. And it was clear to them at the time, all these word connections between the cover, coming under someone's wing is is metaphorical for coming under their protection. And the same with the edge of the cloak, uh, all being the same word. And so if this strikes you as odd, uh, that's, a, that's a reason, that there's a very specific cultural context that we don't use anymore. We don't use those kind of phrases uh, in English. And so that's why, it, why, it, why it's odd, odd to us. So that's all just kind of background. This is, this is a description of what happened. Now the question is, is there anything that we can take from this? Is there anything prescriptive here? And again, we kind of have to look at the rest of Scripture to know because in this particular section, it's narrative. And there's not any commands here, go and do this just the way they did it. It's just describing it, so we have to bring in verses from the outside. And so a few, just a few thoughts here from Ruth chapter 3 that I thought might help you and uh, have been helpful to me. And a good reminder. God wants us to use means. means, And he's designed the world that way. That God could do everything for us. God could have... What I mean by means is God has given us the opportunity and the ability to do things that God could do for himself. God could, every morning, if we wanted, we could wake up and God could command food to appear on our table, and we eat breakfast, and the same at lunch and at dinner. And when maybe when a couple, a young couple gets married, uh, they could pray and say, God, I would really like a house, and God can make a house appear. Every time. God could do that if he wanted. And there's a thousand examples like that where God could supernaturally provide everything for us. But God has set up the world in a way where he wants us to do things. And he uses means, meaning he doesn't directly intervene. He asks us to do things, and there's lots and lots of examples like that. But it even starts in Genesis 1. Think about when God made the world. It specifically talks about how he didn't fill the world with animals. Think about that. God could have, when he made animals, filled the whole world full to the brim with animals. Instead, he made some animals, and he said specifically to them, he blessed them and said, Be, full, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. Think about that. God is giving agency to creation and to animals there specifically, but he says the same thing to human beings. God made two human beings and he told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so God delights and God said, it says God saw it and it was very good. God likes to see creatures fulfilling their purpose and doing things. And so it's a good thing in the sight of God. So this is the way God set up the world overall, but it applies in our specific life 
in specific situ in specific situations, God has asked us to do things. Um, could God do everything for us? Absolutely, but He wants us to use the means that He's He's provided. And so here we see an example of that with Ruth. God set up this system of the kinsman redeemer, and she's pursuing that. Uh, she's pursuing that. She's listening to Naomi, and she's going and asking Boaz, would, would you be my redeemer? I'll read you the verse one more time. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? That's a good question here. And it's we see that the answer is kind of a rhetorical question, but we can seek rest. We can seek to use the means God has provided for us and have faith. Is it that God provided for Naomi and Ruth? Yes. Did they use means? Did they seek means? Yes. And that can be the case for us too. That does God provide the food on our table every day? Absolutely. But do we also go out and work and try and provide? Yes. They're both true. God is still providing, but we're still using the means that he's provided. And so that kind of leads us to our next thing. We can pursue means and still trust God. We can pursue the means that he's provided and still trust God. Does God want us... I'll give you an example. Okay, Here's a question for you. Does God want us to trust him or to think things through? Both. <laughs> he wants us to trust him and to think things through. Right? There's a lot of verses like that. Um, for example, Paul tells Timothy, basically, study the scriptures, think these things through, and God will teach you. Well, is it? it's both, right? He's studying and thinking, but it's also true that God's teaching him. Um, there's so many examples like that. That God wants us to learn, and he's going to teach us, but he also wants us to use the means. God wants us to eat, but he also wants us to work. God wants us, our kids to grow up in uh, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but he's asking us to teach them. And so we can trust God and use the means. Pursue God, pursue the means that God has given, and trust him both. We don't want just one or the other. We don't want to forsake the means that God has asked us to fulfill. We, This is, again, a silly example, but we could say every morning, um, I'm, I'm not going to go to the grocery store. I'm not going to get a job. I'm just going to trust the Lord. Well, that would be wrong, right? Because um, if you can work, the Bible is very clear that God wants us to work. That if you don't work, you shouldn't eat, the Bible um, says. So God wants us to work if we're, if we're able. And we can do that and still trust him. We don't want to do the opposite either, though, where we're only pursuing the means and we're not trusting the Lord. We could pursue means, work hard, work hard, work hard, save up you know, money in the bank, and doing all these, pursuing all the means, but in doing it, trust the means and not still be trusting God. We don't want to fall to one side or the other. We want to do what he's asked us to do, use the means he's provided. That would be, in every year of our life, study the Bible so we can learn. And yet, still at that moment, trust the Lord that he's going to teach us. Go and work like he's asked us to do, but also provide that, also trust that he's going to provide for us. Both. We can pursue means and trust God. And so I think we see that here with Ruth and Naomi, that yes, they're pursuing the means, and they're actually kind of pursuing it pretty hard, right? Like they're actually rush, rushing up and doing something, and even to our sensibilities, that seems very 
forward, right? And very much pursuing the means, but yet uh, someone can do that in faith. Someone can trust the Lord and be pursuing the means he's, he's, uh, he's given them. This leads us, this is, uh, you could call this our third point, or it could be just really point to be or something like that because it's so related to the last one. But we want to pursue confidently what God has asked us to do. If God has asked us to do something, we can pursue that confidently. Okay? And I think, and I'm reading into this a little bit uh, in Ruth, I'm, uh, I'm reading into the motives a little bit here, so I could be wrong on this, but it seems like that someone could pursue this kinsman redeemer with faith in God, because God's the one that set it up. God, you set up this Redeemer situation, and so I'm pursuing it. You, you're the one that made it this way. You thought this was good. It wasn't Ruth and Naomi's idea for, to have a thing called a kinsman Redeemer. It was God's idea. And so they pursued it. And we can do the same. When God asks us to do something, we can confidently pursue the means. We can say, on anything that God has asked us to do, we can pursue it confidently. Even though we're pursuing means, we're still trusting the Lord. Think about sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. God could, if he wanted to, save people directly. And sometimes he does that with dreams. You know, you've heard stories like that where someone has a dream and directs someone to a specific Christian to share the gospel, things like that. But the vast majority of the time, Christians are going out and sharing the gospel why? Because God's asked us to do that. How will they hear if they, uh, no one is sent, you know, Romans. And so when we do that, when we pursue the means God has set out, we can pursue it confidently. God, I trust that you're going to save people because you promised. It wasn't our idea. If, I, if, if we could choose how many of us would be happy to let angels share the gospel with lost people, right? Like, that would be nice. I mean, think that they would say it better than I can, you know. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> and all the awkwardness and things like that, uh, that's all gone. But the reality is that's not how God set it up. God's given us to do it. And when we go out and we share the gospel with somebody, we can trust the means. We can pursue the means, but we can also be fully trusting God. God, you are the one that asked us to do this, so I'm trusting that you're going to work. As simple as planting seeds in the ground. When we all get our food, not many of us are farmers, but some are. Why can we pursue the means of planting seeds in the ground and that believing that they're going to grow up and give us food? Well, think about God's promise to Noah. He's no, he's no longer going to destroy the earth. The seasons, the growing seasons are always going to be here, God promised to Noah. He's not going to do that again. The seasons are going to remain until the end of the earth, he, he, he said to Noah, uh, after the flood. We can pursue planting the seeds and the food coming up because God promised. Pursue the means and we're trusting the Lord. Confident that he's going to provide food for the world because he said that the growing seasons are going to continue. And there's a thousand examples like that that we could give in our, whole, in our life. That we wake up every day and we pursue means. We take care of our kids. We dress ourselves. We feed ourselves. We turn on the, turn on the car. We use our bodies, and that's the way God intended it. And we can do all those things with confidence. God, you put me here. You, you made me a father, a mother to these kids. You gave me this job, and you asked me to work, and I'm going to pursue it because you've asked me to do it, and I'm going to trust you in it that you're going to provide. 
pursue confidently what God has asked us to do. Sometimes it's hard to know when to press in and when to step back. Um, there's kind of a balance here. We don't want to kick down doors, but we don't want to be uh, not pursuing what God has asked us to pursue. I don't know if you guys remember Zach, my friend Zach, that came, and he's in India, and um, and I'd like to share. Um, at some point, he asked us specifically to pray for a specific people group that's unreached. He said, "Would would we pray?" So I'd like to share that at some point, but I won't do that today. But he um, he's over there in India, and we were having to talk about this specific thing. Um, do we when do we press in? and pursue uh, action, and when do we wait on the Lord? And, it's, and it's, it's a difficult topic. And I was sharing a verse with him. I was thinking about the verse where Moses says to the people of God in, in the Exodus when they're about to cross, wait, and you'll see the salvation of the Lord. Just be silent. You remember that? That's a real, in my mind, it was like an opportunity. It's like we don't, we want to wait on the Lord. And we want to we want to do all that he has us to do, but when he has us to wait, wait. And he said something really striking. I wonder if you've had any experience like this. This was really shocking to me and just really sticks in my memory. He said, yeah, but do you remember the verse after that? And I was like, no. <laughs> and this is pretty amazing. <laughs> this is really, he's a really great friend and um, pastor. And um, this is just really Amazing that he knew this verse. Okay, he says this. Okay, so the people are really afraid and, and they're crying out, maybe we should just go back to uh, Egypt. Why did you bring us out, you know, that we're just going to die here because the Egyptians are coming in. And then Moses says, the Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Okay, that was the verse I was quoting. And then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. <laughs> so he says the opposite. He says, um, well, not the opposite. What, Mo- what Moses said was true, but then God calls him to action. Why are you crying out to me? Why are you praying about this? You're supposed to cross the sea. <laughs> and he says, uh, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may cross. I don't know all the context there, but it seems like, from what God said, that Moses knew they were supposed to cross the sea already. And he's saying, you don't need to pray about this. I've already asked you to do it. Go forward. You know, And that's pretty amazing. And I think that's a good example uh, to me of we want to pursue confidently what God has asked us to do. We don't have to get down on our knees and pray, God, do you want me to go to the grocery store and get food? Um, or do you want me just to wait? The vast majority of times, there may be a time when you don't have money or something like that, and that's a wonderful time to wait on the Lord and see his provision. I can see some of your faces because I know some of the stories that where God has done that for you, and praise the Lord for that. But the but if we've got money in the bank and God, the natural means is go to work, get your paycheck, and and go to the store. I don't have to sit down and pray, God, do you want me to wait on the food or do you want me to go? Um, I can trust, God, this is how you set the world up. This is what you want me to do, and I'm going to go forward. And the same with, you know, like I said, a lot of other situations with teaching our kids, right? I don't have to get up in the morning and ask the Lord, Lord, do you want me to teach my kids to walk in your ways? I think God would say the same thing to me that he said to Moses, although probably not audibly, but, but the same idea. Why do you cry to me? Go, you know, go forward. I've already commanded you in the word. Teach your kids. Um, you don't need to ask me. 
And there's many things like that. Now, we see this one side with Ruth and Naomi where they're pursuing the means that God has provided. I think they're trusting the Lord, it seems like, and we can do that. But we also see kind of the opposite side with Boaz where we want to do that. We want to pursue the means, but then we want to trust the Lord if he closes the door. And we see that with Boaz as an example of the opposite side where there's times when it seems something seems like a good thing, you could press forward, but is this how the Lord wants it to happen? And you wait. And so Boaz does that. Remember at the end of this story, he says, he doesn't say, yeah, I'll marry you right now. That seems like a good thing. He says, well, actually there's a closer redeemer. And so I'm going to wait and ask him. And even though God put you know them together in this kind of um, supernatural event where she goes right to the field of the person who's going to take care of her and doesn't even realize that until Naomi tells her that this is Boaz and he's actually related to us, he doesn't jump out ahead of what God has asked him to do. He wants to follow the way God asked it to happen. And so he says, well, God says this is the order and so I'm going to go to the closer redeemer just like God asked and if he wants to redeem you then that's what the Lord wants and if he doesn't, I'll do it. And so we see later on, at, this is where we might get into four just a little bit, but he goes up to the gate and I think you know the story, but basically he goes to the other guy and there's another cultural thing here where they ch- exchange shoes, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> also not just descriptive, not prescriptive. Um, but he, obviously he ends up redeeming Ruth and Naomi and 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 marrying Ruth there. So we can pursue the means, but we also want to trust the Lord if he closes the door. There's times when something seems good, but here's how God has asked it to go, and it's like, well, God, if you close the door, we're okay with that too. And you see this in Paul. You know, we can find some New Testament examples of this same idea where Paul goes, he's pursuing uh, ministry in a certain area, and it, and it says, you know, the Lord closed the door, the Spirit uh Spirit prevented us from going there. Um, it seems like Paul was thinking in his mind, where should I go next? And thinking it through, and praying about it, and pursuing it. But when God closed the door, God closed the door, and that's okay. There's other times when it's clear that Paul is trusting the means that God has provided. An example of something that seems kind of odd, in a way, is how Paul appeals to Caesar, right? Paul's using the means of the of this really wicked government to appeal to Caesar and to exercise his rights. He does that several times, and it doesn't seem like that's a sin, that he's, he's pursuing what God wants him to do, and yet he's using the means that God has provided, uh, protection from like laws and, uh, that they had for Roman citizens. So, kind of to summarize, and then I'm going to tell you to, um, two examples that I thought that from the life of Whitfield, where it seems like, um, I think we all struggle in to know this. We see it in the life of Moses, for example. Here, God tells Moses, why are you praying to me? Go forward. But then there's the time with the rock where Moses gets angry and he kind of steps out ahead of the Lord and he hits the rock when he shouldn't have, when he should have just spoken to the rock. And so Christians can struggle to know and have wisdom. Uh, what should I do here? Is this the time when I step out? Is this the time when I step back and wait on the Lord? And we just need the Lord, don't we? We need the Spirit of God, and we need to, in some ways, I think, ask the Lord, where's my tendencies uh, in one way or the other? Am I 
this way or that way and help me to have a balance to do what you want me to do in every situation. We want to pursue the means. God set it up this way, and that's okay. Um, we pursue it with confidence, trusting the Lord. We don't trust the means, we trust God. But it doesn't mean we don't use the means. It doesn't mean um, we could get up every morning and pray, God, just teach me, but not open the Bible. That's not right. <laughs> we could open the Bible and study it really hard, but not be trusting the Lord to teach us, be trusting our own, our own understanding to figure it out. And that would be wrong, too. We want both. We want to use the means and fully trust the Lord because he's able. And then... We also want to trust the Lord if he closes the door. There's lots of opportunities that we have where God will close the door, and that's okay too. Um, We can trust him when we just wait. And there's lots of opportunities in that. But kind of to close, just to illustrate these, I feel somewhat somewhat bad because I'm going to kind of pick on Whitfield a little bit here uh, because he was really a person of his time. And so... I think he would be okay with it if, if we could talk to him. He would say, well, yeah, use me if you, as an example, even a poor example. And maybe people do that with us too, and that's okay. If people can learn from our mistakes, that's good. And, you know, more power to you. We talked to our kids about, uh, you know, I, I, we were just talking this week. I was telling my kids, uh, I used to do that exact same thing when I was a kid. And, and, um, Here's a story of when I got upset and I uh, did the wrong thing, and, and, I, and I don't want you to do that. I want you to trust the Lord. And anyways, we want to learn from examples. This example is kind of like, really, Abraham in the Old Testament, where Abraham has this promise from God that he's going to have a son. And what does he do? Does he trust the Lord? He tries to take the means himself, right? And he takes Hagar as his wife when he should have waited. And um, one, culturally, we know that was wrong. Um, But he was doing kind of multiple wives was wrong. We know that. Jesus makes that really clear, that that's not how it is intended to be. So it's not prescriptive. Um, And this example from Whitfield is kind of like that. So... Let's do the positive first, and then we'll do the negative. Whitfield was a person who really used the means that God provided, and specifically with salvation. Like He really worked hard to try and preach the gospel to people and rode on this horse all over Europe and all over uh, the U.S. or in a carriage, and sometimes on a horse, sometimes in a carriage, and just preached the gospel to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. He pursued the means confidently that God provided. It was a good example of trusting the Lord and using the means. And he was just a wonderful, he loved people, he really, really loved people. And uh, this biography, if you ever have a lot of extra time, it's, it's two volume and uh, it's, it's a little long and uh, a lot of information. Um, there's a shorter version that's like 200 pages by Dalimore. That is just basically all the good parts. <laughs> Not all the good parts, but like the highlights are the biggest, and it's, it's also really, really good. But anyways, this story really strikes me of Whitfield as a positive in terms of he just really trusted the Lord, but he also wanted to be, use the means that God provided. And there's this story where Whitfield is dying, and people 
they think he's dying. He's really, really sick, and people are sitting around him, and it's to the point where people were saying, like, oh, he's gone, like, thinking he died. That's how sick he was. And then he has this talk with this slave lady, and basically she says, um, she's, she basically tells him, I'll paraphrase, I'm praying that you're going to come back and call some more slaves and, um, to the kingdom, into the kingdom. And then Whitfield says, he said, I prayed that if I was to live, this might be the event. And so he's there, he's on a sickbed, and he's like, God, I want to preach some more, especially specifically to these slaves, because I want, to, I want them to know the Lord. And culturally at this time, it was actually really sad. Like, there's, He tells in his journals or whatever about a slave coming up to him and asking him, Whitfield, do I have a soul? Like, that's how sad the situation was in the U.S. at this time. It's like, this slave thought, maybe I don't even have a soul. Maybe I'm not even a person. That's so sad. Um, and he's like, yes, you have a soul and trust the Lord. And anyways, here he is pursuing the means. And he did that, right? Like, he went all over trying to share the gospel with people, and many people were saved. Praise the Lord. That's a positive example of using the means and trusting the Lord. Here's a negative example from Whitfield's life. And I feel like we could all share our own examples of places where we either stepped out and, uh, and, or we, we didn't. And that was, we all fall short um, in, in these ways. But this was kind of a big one here. Whitfield had taken on these, this orphanage in Georgia. And he, when he would preach, he would collect money, but he wouldn't save the money for himself. Uh, he would use almost all of it, to support this big orphanage that he started in Georgia and to care for these kids. And it was a lot of money. It was a big plantation-type situation. Um, and you got to remember at this time, the U.S. was very young, and so they're, they're like cutting down trees to make roads and stuff like that in Georgia. It was very raw um, at this time. Well, the lady who had per given a lot of money and said she would continue to give a lot of money, really a rich lady, died. And so he actually was uh, shocked that she died young, and, and she didn't leave anything in her will about this orphanage or Whitfield. And so he's got this huge financial burden, and all these kids are already there, and he doesn't know what to do. So what he does, he ends up doing, was actually buying a bunch of slaves um, to pay for this orphanage. And it was, it's, I would say this is a negative situation where here he wants to do this thing, but he takes the means that God wasn't I was pretty clearly against, and he takes it into his own hands. And it's sad because he had a lot of influence. He was a very popular, obviously, in the U.S. and, and around, and he even in, ended up writing letters to the trustees of Georgia because it's just kind of starting as a colony or whatever. Please make Georgia a slave colony. It's like really sad that he influenced that um, so he could have these, these slaves. Um, and I'm not saying he did, wasn't good to the slaves. I'm sure he shared the gospel with the slaves and they were treated as good as anybody. Probably better than anybody else anywhere. But, um, but the reality is, is that um, he did the wrong thing there. And it's just a good example to us of warning. I, mean, I feel like Whitfield is a godly, a wonderful Christian example in a lot of ways. But he fell short here. And and it, Abraham did. And, you know, we can see lots of examples from the scriptures. But all that is to say, let's pursue the means. Let's pursue 
the means, but let's trust God. And when God closes the door, that's okay. And I want to find close this with one final thought. This is the main thought, really. And the whole next chapter, we're going to talk about redeeming and how it's a picture of Christ, but would kind of be sad to not talk about it today, at least briefly. That Think about this. The biggest area where we want to get this right is salvation through Jesus. Here's the means. Jesus' death on the cross to wash away our sins, to forgive us, to redeem us. Are we going to pursue that? Are we going to find another way? Are we going to try and work our own way? Are we going to try and do it um, some other way? Are we going to say, God, you provided the means through Jesus to die on the cross, wash away my sin, and I'm going to run to you and say, redeem me, forgive me, and repent of our sins the way God asked us to. Are we going to pursue his means, and are we going to trust him, or are we going to do it our own way? Um, The good news on this one is it's very easy to get it right because God's not going to close the door on this one, right? Anybody who wants to come to the Lord can be saved through Christ. God's not going to say no. God wants you to know him and to love him and to be forgiven. And that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And just like Ruth is pursuing Boaz to redeem her, God is calling you, if you're not a Christian, um, to pursue Jesus and to say, look, this is the means God provided. And I'm going to go and I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to repent just like he asked me to do. And I'm going to trust him today. Uh, Today's the day of salvation. And praise the Lord, let's get that one right. (laughs) We can struggle in a lot of areas, but let's get that right. Let's run to Jesus. Let's not trust our own strength. Let's not try and figure it out ourselves. Let's go right to Christ. Let's have him to wash our sins because he died for that. Uh, It's costly, you know. What he did costs. It's unbelievable that God became a man and died for us. So let's pursue our Redeemer. God made a way. Let's use the way that he provided uh, a way of faith in Jesus and repentance from our sins. Um, what an amazing opportunity for us here. And really that's what we'll pretty much talk about when we get to chapter 4 is this picture of Christ as our Redeemer. And this foreshadows that, this whole this whole book. So why don't we pray here together and close. Father, uh, we just need wisdom. We need your spirit. We fall short. Um, and we just ask you to forgive us uh, all the ways we fall short uh, every day. And we're asking, would you help us uh, to use all the means you've asked us to use? Uh, we pray you'd help us in it as we study the scripture, as we pray for one another, as we train our kids, as we uh, work, and all the things you've asked us to do. Would you help us to not trust in those our actions or our own understanding but to trust you um, give us wisdom to know when to step out when to step back and to wait we need help thank you so much uh, for Jesus thank you for forgiveness and we're looking to you for help every day thank you for Whitfield Um, we're very thankful for his example and all the people that heard the gospel and were saved Pray you'd save people here in Kirksville and throughout the world. Thank you for uh, my friend Zach and his wisdom and love. And we pray for them over there in India. Pray that they would see a harvest and people being saved out of idolatry, literal idol worship uh, that's going on over there. Pray you'd fill their hands um, with 
work that you want them to do and also uh, souls that could be saved. We hand all these things to you, Jesus, and we're thankful for all that you've given us. Amen.